Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and today I am joined by Andy who is on Instagram as Op Nutrition. Andy is an online coach and he's also on the judging panel of the FitX shows as well and his coaching business has just taken a little bit of a turn as well. So Andy could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got into the industry and where you are at the moment? Yeah of course. Um, I got into the industry back when I was 19, well, actually just before I turned 19. So I've been coaching for 17 years now. Um, originally started just as a PT, uh, working in Total Fitness in Bolton. And I've just continued to progress through the different stages as and when I wanted to. I think I was coaching people face to face from 2005 to 2015, so about 10 years. And I started online coaching back in 2012 before it was kind of popular and a thing that people did. Um, 2015, I transitioned completely to online, focusing more on prep and nutrition side of things. And as you said, my coaching taking a slight turn recently has been, I've transitioned away from fitness more to specific life coaching, which I've been doing since 2015, 16 as well. But it's now specific to emotional and behavioral coaching than than anything else what at the and also, i'm known as art nutrition on instagram but i'm also known as arc or art nutrition by the majority of people in real life as well though <laughs> i think that happens to most people like you see people at uh, expos and shows and stuff and everyone's calling each other by their instagram handles these days um yeah. and we've actually had you on the podcast before but i think that was like two years ago now so a lot must have changed since then um and what was out of interest Andy what was the sort of main reason for you moving a little bit more away from fitness and more into like life coaching to be honest it's I prefer working with people that have got what I consider real issues because I just got to a point where there was too many people coming to me, which didn't really make sense given my natural temperament of being blunt and being very honest and not being a handholder that seemed to want that kind of coaching and expected to be chased and expected to be, you know, like spoon fed through the process. And it just, I got fed up with it, to be honest. And I just, I found that when I was working with the people that have got genuine issues, whether it's, life stress, emotional, you know, things that are linked with issues surrounding eating or anxiety and things like that. The the passion is really, really strong in that sense. And the fitness side of things, I was just, I was just, I was losing interest to be perfectly honest. Yeah. What I like about that is how you've sort of allowed yourself to go where your passion lies as opposed to trying to like stay in an area where you're maybe not so driven by anymore um i think a lot of people these days sort of like stay in things which they're not so passionate about because they feel like they almost have to or they're like stuck there because that's part of their identity so I, I really like the fact that you've allowed yourself to like fear off a little bit yeah well the thing a lot of the people that i work with uh, some of them have that mentality but they're stuck in a relationship and they feel like they can't get out of it or they shouldn't get out of it for X, Y, and Z reasons. People do that with their career. You know, people do it for, for lots of different areas of their life. And that's just something that if I'm teaching people how to break free from that, I couldn't, I couldn't then do the opposite myself and stay in something that 
was beginning to drain me. Yeah, exactly. And that leads quite nicely into one of the questions, which was quite vague, but it was how important is your mindset towards everything in life, including training and nutrition? Um, it's, it's very important because the way that you view something, it's going to be quite, um, it's going to dictate how you're going to approach it. If you, if your mindset towards, let's use fitness as an easy example. If your mindset towards physical fitness, your own health is that it's something that you have to do, then you're going to constantly feel restricted by it. You're going to constantly feel like you've got this external imposition on your life that takes up your time that take when people focus on the sacrifices when it comes to dieting when it comes to training when it comes to cardio when it comes to any element of fitness they're usually the people that their mindset is wrong they're not doing it for the right reasons yeah i saw um, actually a really good post by uh, cliff wilson the other day and he was talking about how when you're getting into competing the people that sort of they know that it's going to be extremely hard and they know that it's going to be painful. They are able to enjoy the process because they know that rather than people who almost expect it to be a little bit of a breeze or think it's something that it's not. They're shocked by the fact it is very hard. It is very painful and they aren't willing to, to give that sacrifice, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they almost start offended by it. Like pe people get all bent out of shape by how difficult the process actually is and the fact that they weren't able to do it to the same degree that other people do it that they see on a regular basis. Because one of, one of the things that you will get if you constantly view champions within the bodybuilding industry, whether it's bikini, whether it's fitness, whether it's a bodybuilder, if you constantly view the champions and follow their process through their Instagram, through their YouTube, you get a warped perception of the difficulty of it. Because even though they will suffer more than somebody that doesn't win, because usually the people that win are the ones that work the hardest, they don't see it all as a sacrifice. They don't see it as a punishment. They don't see it as it's taken away from the life. They, they're grateful for the process. You know, they enjoy it. And again, a lot of it is mindset and mentality. They do it because they love it. They do it because they want to do it. So yes, they have to get up really early to go out and do an hour of cardio or hit a ridiculous step count every day. The calories get incredibly low, you know, and they're running on fumes for weeks and weeks and weeks at the end of a prep. But it doesn't come across that they're miserable because they're not. But then you see some people, they start a prep, they're not even 12 weeks out and they're already complaining. They're already talking constantly about how tired they are, how hungry they are, how hard it is. And for me, when someone has that mentality towards competing, I don't for the life of me understand why they do it because it can't be an enjoyable process. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, percep perception is everything because if you see, like in the example of prep, just because it's an easy example, if you see what is required, the actions that are required as a sacrifice, you're going to have a really hard time through the process. But if you see it as an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for self-development, something which is going to challenge you yes but it's also going to benefit you in so many ways you'll have such a positive experience of the process and you've got to at the end of the day be willing to accept that when you have an extreme goal ex extreme actions are going to be required and you can either 
try and enjoy those that that extremity or you can see it as a really negative thing yeah i mean because uh, for example during my last prep my calories got really really low towards the end and you spend a lot of time hungry and that's that's just part and parcel that is going to happen in a prep if you start to get lean you are really going to feel it but the, one of the main things that keeps me solid during a prep is gratitude because you know you, you've got you've got people that are prepping and they're complaining about the whole process and the fact that you've got to do cardio and i see that i'm just like you can still fucking walk though can't you there's loads of people all over the world that, you know, they'd love to be able to get 10,000 steps a day, but they can't because they're paralyzed, you know, or complaining about being hungry when you're still eating like 16, 1800 calories a day. And it's not only that, but it's, we're, we're, we're in a position, we've got a privilege that we can go to a supermarket and select specific foods and go home and cut them up and weigh out exact amounts of all of these different foods and put them together to create a nice little meal that's an exact macro and calorie specification just so that we can change the way that our body looks we choose to be hungry just so that we feel that we look better and yet in yemen there's been a famine since 2016 and over a million children have starved to death so what how, how am i going to complain and complain about being starving when A, I'm choosing to do it, B, I'm eating God knows how many times a day anyway. And it's not that hard. It's yeah. really not. I'm, I'm not sacrificing anything because I'm choosing to do every single thing that I choose to do. And that mentality just makes the process A, way more enjoyable and B, so much easier. Yeah. And for the people who don't enjoy that sacrifice, they simply just don't have to do it. Like they don't have to compete. And it is a complete choice. It's not something that anyone else has forced you to do. And I think it's so important that people compete for themselves for that reason and not for anybody else. Because if you do compete for yourself, then you should be able to enjoy the process. Whereas if you're competing for any other reason, such as, I don't know, because you think it's going to get you more likes and followers on social media, or because you think it's going to attract people to you or whatever, then that that you're not going to enjoy the process at all whereas if you compete for yourself you can you really can yeah yeah i mean like what you just said then as far as attracting other people to you obviously there's lots of different avenues that that could could lead you down but when you get people that are in the industry and they will do a prep and they do it because they think that when they do a photo shoot afterwards and they use themselves as the body and the image of their pt business that it's going to get people coming to them in droves it's like 95% of your key demographic are gen pop and don't give a fuck about looking the way that you looked when you were ready for a show. It's not going to draw them in. Yeah. But I've spoken to so many people that that's been their primary focus for a prep and it just blows my mind. It's so funny. I've had that conversation so many times. And um, I remember when I was a one-to-one -one PT and I was prepping, I used to literally try and cover up the fact how small I was I used to wear like two jumpers underneath my pure gym fleece thing to try and bulk me out a little bit because I used to go into the gym and my clients would say to me Danny are you okay like you look really ill and you look like you're losing too much weight and it it scares people away who might be your key demographic it's it's more likely to do that than to actually attract people if your target audience is gen pop 
which most PTs, that is their target audience. So I've had that conversation so many times. It's really funny that you bring that up. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's like the extremes of anything. It's like, say, a gen pop client with regards to their general fitness goals is like somebody that wants to like, go rambling at weekends. You just want to walk up some hills, increase the fitness a little bit and see some sights. And then all of a sudden they've got a guy who's going, I climbed Mount Everest. Come on, we're gonna go there. I, I don't care about almost dying climbing up a mountain, mate. I just want to walk up a hill and take a selfie at the top. You know, but it, and that, that's the differences between the extremes. And people yeah. just don't get it. But there's too many people involving themselves in competing now for the wrong reasons. And those are the people, you, you can always tell. They're, they're in it for a year, they're in it for two years, maybe three. And then afterwards, all of the social media content is about demonizing the industry. It gave me an eating disorder. It did this to me, it did that to me, it did the other. It's like, no, it didn't, love. You did that to yourself. Because you put yourself in the arena for all the wrong reasons anyway. Yeah. It's like wanting to be a gladiator and then crying that you get stabbed. It's part of the process. (laughs) Yeah. And on that subject, Andy, of sort of people claiming that like competing gave them an eating disorder and things like that, what do you think of it when people claim that that happens? What do you think that people usually enter competing with um, already a bit of a, a hindered relationship with food and then sort of competing exacerbates that? Or do you think that um, it's something else? The majority of the time, a lot of people come to me, they'll, they'll DM me on Instagram and ask me about things to do with eating disorders and disordered eating and things like that, especially during prep, after prep. Um, because, I, you know, I've spoken about that quite a lot and I understand it well, but the majority of people, when it comes down to it, their issue didn't start during prep or after prep. Yeah. The majority of people that do suffer with an eating disorder, it usually starts in adolescence. And one of the primary precursors for it is that particular time in the life when it started they felt that they had an overwhelming lack of control over their life. You know, something that was happening either within the family or to them personally that was very difficult for them to deal with. And one thing that we can always control, essentially, is how much we eat. Yeah. So when you feel that you've got an overwhelming lack of control overall, you become hyper-controlling over the little things that you can control, which is why people can develop not OCD because it, it doesn't it doesn't work like it's a habit that you pick up but they can become very controlling with their environment become very very controlling with the food and for a lot of the people that I've spoken to the majority if you trace it back there is always an element of it in their younger life and it's simply just it's been a precursor for it yeah it exacerbates issues yeah and obviously competing attracts those people because it is all about control. You control every single variable throughout the entire competition prep. So it's going to attract those people who've sought that control through food. For anyone who is in that position who might have struggled with disordered eating behavior in the past, would you generally recommend that they don't enter a prep? It's what it, you, know, you know what it's like being a coach. It's so many questions that people ask you and the answer starts with, it depends. Yeah. And whilst this is something that starts with it depends because a lot of people are really quite myopic with their approach. They will they will 
gain a belief or they will absorb a belief from somebody else that they respect. And then that's it. So you'll get a lot of people say, if you've had issues with food, do not compete, yeah. period, because it will make you worse. Nothing works like that. Nothing is that linear. Because I know people in the industry that have had a history of issues with food that have competed and the understanding that they have gained of calories, of portion sizes, of self-control has actually been the thing that's helped them overcome it and get to the other side. You know, actually get to the point where they could genuinely say, I'm recovered. In the same way, I know other people that have gone into it and it's just made them 10 times worse. Yeah. So it's very person dependent. I wouldn't advise somebody to do a prep as a means of trying to correct the issues that they've got. Yeah. Because... I, I just don't think the success rate would be anywhere near high enough to have it as a viable prospect. But some people that have issues may try it and may find that it does help them because I know people that have been in that boat. But I, would, I wouldn't say, do a prep and see if that helps because that, that would be bad advice. Yeah, I agree. Like most things in the fitness industry, it comes back to it depends. Um, and just to touch on, you were talking about mindset and like gratitude earlier. A lot of people talk about making gratitude lists and things like that. How would you recommend someone go about trying to be more grateful throughout their life and trying to practice gratitude more frequently? The, in, the, in the initial instance, starting a list is usually a really good process. And not for the reasons that most people think, because when you get somebody to first sit down and try to write a gratitude list, the most apparent thing that comes out is how ungrateful they are. And in order for somebody to genuinely begin to increase the level of gratitude that they've got in their life, they need to realise how ungrateful they've been so far. I've, I've worked with people in the past within a life coaching capacity and I've got them to start doing a gratitude list and they've come back to me and they've got one thing on it two things, three things, you know, and I've been like, and what else? And like, I've literally, I've not got anything else to put on the list. I'm not grateful for anything. And that in their mind means that they have nothing else to be grateful for, but not being grateful and not having anything to be grateful for to completely, completely different things. And then when you break it down, it's the realization that gratitude can be for the smallest of things. Like, after a while with myself, I stopped doing lifts because the gratitude almost became completely automated. Yeah. And I found myself being grateful for simple things. Like I go shopping and then the fridge is completely full. You know, to the, like if, you, if you've ever had your fridge full to the point where when you open it, the light is that covered by food that it doesn't really make a difference. Then that is something to be incredibly grateful for because that's a position that there's literally billions of people around the world that will never experience that. Yeah. Just the fact that I can go to the supermarket and be in a, an entire building that is full of edible food, fresh edible food that I can gain access to. The fact that I've got the money to be able to afford it. You know, the fact that I've got the body to be able to push the trolley, to be able to carry the bags to my car, the fact that I've got a car to drive home to, you know, and, I have a home to drive home to and then I've got a fridge to put the food in and cupboards. And when I'm cooking food, you know, the fact that I've got the means of actually facilitating cooking the food, it's everything. It's step by step. You know, when you, when you break it down for people, this is a story that I use that it really kind of brings it home. One client that I had years ago, he was very much like that. I've nothing to be grateful for. So I asked him to take me through his day. And he was just like, well, get up, I'll go to work. I was like, no, 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 
take me through your day from the minute that your eyes open. You, you open your eyes and what happens? And I forced him to go for everything. I was just like, where do you wake up? It's like, in bed. I said, what kind of bed? He's like, a double. I was like, is it comfortable? Like, yeah. I said, and the sheets on it, are they clean or are they dirty or are they wet? He's like, no, they're clean. I was like, are they dry? He was like, yeah. I said, so you wake up in a comfortable double bed then with clean, dry sheets? He was like, yeah. I said, so you get out of bed and what do you do? He's like, well, get ready for work. I was just like, it's the first thing that you do. He's like, I'll go to the toilet. I said, so you've got running water and you've got a toilet. I said, and when you walk to the toilet, what are you walking on? Are you walking on floorboards? Are you walking on, on gravel? He's like, no, carpet. He's like, right, it's cool. So you've got nice carpets in your house as well. And I took him through every light. It was painstaking. But I made him acknowledge everything that he's got that millions of other people will not only don't have, but will never have. The fact that he can go and brush his teeth. The fact that he can have a shower. And the fact that he's got, a, you know, multiple shower gels and shampoos and conditioners and shit like that to choose from for whether he wants to smell like fucking mangoes that day or whether he wants to smell like lemon or so you know what i mean talking for everything it was like when you go downstairs after you put your clean clothes on you go into the kitchen what do you do i make breakfast so again it was so you go into the fridge you select from all of the fresh food that you've got what specific food you want to eat that day you cook it you eat it but and took him through his entire day right until he went back to bed. I was just like, right, here's what I want you to do. He's like, what? Because it was about, I think it was about seven o'clock at night and it was the middle of winter. I said, I want you to go out and get in your new car that you've just told me you've got, brand new car. I said, and drive around until you find someone that's homeless. I said, and get out your car and sit down next to him and tell him about how hard your life is and how you don't have anything to be grateful for. He was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I said, why not? Like, if you've nothing to be grateful for in your life, that hard. I said, go and tell someone that's homeless how hard your life is. And it was, it, it was the slap in the face that he needed to make him realise. It was just like, yeah, I've been really fucking ungrateful. Yeah. Like, you go. I think that's and such a good way of putting it. Like, such a good way. And making people realise because, especially these days, I think people take so much for granted when, and everything is so accessible Whereas we actually, when we put things into perspective like that, we have so much that we do actually need to be grateful for. And when people look at making gratitude lists, they usually try and think of like huge things when in reality, there's millions of like tiny little things, which what might seem tiny for, for us, but to someone else would seem huge. Yeah, but this, the, the thing is, Danny, we should still appreciate those tiny things. Yeah. Every bit as much as the big things. You know, it's like, say something happens and you're not going to drive somewhere. So you, you walk instead. Like, if you're not grateful for the fact that you can walk somewhere, then you, you're living life wrong. You know, it's like some people get completely bent out of shape when they can't figure out what outfit they want to wear to go out. Completely losing perspective on the fact that they've got so many clothes to choose from. There's so many shoes and everything else that they struggle to pick what they want to wear. Whereas you've got somebody else that might have to wear the same outfit every single day. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it is, it's a process. And it, you, I think one of the issues that we've got, and you just touched on it, about it, it's almost, it's because we live in a transactional society. It's like, you know, you want everything now, 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 like immediately. I've ordered that book and Amazon are going to deliver it tomorrow morning i don't need to wait for anything i don't need to go out and get it because it will come to me and 
people want something that will get them to where they want to be now with very minimal effort. And it's, it's a process. It's like if you want to get physically fit, you've got to start going to the gym and stay consistent and do it 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 until you become fit. If you want to be more grateful, you've got to start and do it every single day. Do it multiple times a day. And you will get better and better at it over time and you will feel better over time. But people don't want to, they don't want the journey. They just want the reward. They want it right now. And life doesn't work like that. But there's no element of life that works with that immediate gratification. But people, for some reason at the moment, now more than ever, are getting this warped sense of um, entitlement that because they want it, they should have it. And a lot of people aren't willing to work for what it is that they say that they want. Yeah. That's what, that's one of the things that drew me away from fitness. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's such a, actually, I saw your um, IGTV the other day about coaching not being a transactional process. And I thought that was a brilliant IGTV as well. Um, and I completely agree with it. You know, people have got to be willing to put the work in for what they want and anything that's, worth having usually requires hard work and if people can flip their perspective and like we've just mentioned learn to be grateful for the little things and enjoy the process itself enjoy the process of challenging themselves of bettering themselves enjoy how difficult it is at times and how rewarding it is to make progress after pushing through those difficult times they'll enjoy their entire life so much more and it just takes, takes that change in perspective to, to help them and live a more fulfilled life, essentially, with more purpose. Yeah. You know what? That, the word that you just said then, fulfilled, that's something that a lot of people um, aspire to either have or feel in life, to feel fulfilled. There's a lot of people that have a life right now that would leave them feeling fulfilled if they were actually present and grateful for it. Yeah. Because if you're not, and you're constantly looking for that thing that will give you that, you'll always get to whatever it is that you're working for, looking for the next thing. Because it's like, as you get closer to the thing that you thought would make you happy, and you realize that you're not actually getting any happier as, as you're getting closer to it, oh, it must be the next thing. Oh, it must be the next thing. And it's, it's not. And that isn't me saying, because there's a, there's a lot of... Um, projection of like shame and guilt when it comes to money and wealth you know people say oh you know money doesn't buy happiness and i would say well, neither does being broke you know if you're broke you can't buy fucking anything and gratitude will take you so far but if you're constantly present and constantly grateful there's no level of happiness that can't be achieved when you're rich as can be achieved at any other point in your life but a lot of people don't see it like that yeah and one of the questions was tough love or self-compassion so in the context for example if someone has a fat loss goal and they're struggling with their adherence should they take the approach of giving themselves a little bit of tough love or self-compassion or who should take which approach yeah again it's a it depends it's very person dependent if you've got someone that has spent a lot of time essentially letting themselves off the hook constantly making excuses and any excuses are good enough excuse you know oh, i need to go to the gym tonight but i'm tired because this happened that happened you know and it can be anything even even something as simple as traffic was bad on the way home 
and I'm tired from the drive, even though it only took 10 or 15 minutes longer than normal, but that would be good enough. And they've got people that are around them that are their support system that also spend all of the time enabling and validating all of the excuses they uses that they use. Somebody that is like that needs that tough love approach. Yeah. Because they need someone that's going to call them on the bullshit. And it's the understanding that that person that's calling you out every time you try to let yourself off the hook and escape the responsibility for the goals that you've got that you say that you want, they care. They're doing that because they genuinely want you to get there. And it's that, that misperception that people that care treat you with kid gloves and they're always understanding and they're always helpful and you know, they'll always do whatever they can to make you feel better. I'm very much a tough love coach and I will do everything that I can to make you feel better in the future. Not right now. Yeah. You know, I've had conversations with clients before where they've said, Oh, I'm in this position because this has happened and that's happened. And it's them laying the foundation of excuses that they will then use to fall back on when something doesn't go right. Oh, well, it's because of that thing that I told you about and blah, blah. And I've had those conversations and ended it by saying, I understand, but I don't care because it, it's irrelevant. We're not, we're not going through this process for you to stay the same as you are now. Your identity is going to shift. You are going to become a different person here and here. So you need to break away from all the old excuses, all the, all the stories that you've told that everybody around you always accepts and lets you off the hook with. You've got to get rid of all that shit. Otherwise you're never going to change. Yeah. And in the same way, somebody that is constantly beating on themselves talking down to the cells, giving the shit, giving themselves shit. You're not looking hard enough, you know, and, and constant tough love, but the wrong kind of tough love. Those are the kinds of people that need more compassion in their life, self-compassion and maybe compassion from somebody around them as well. So having a coach that is a lot more understanding would be better for somebody like that. So that you've got somebody that is, you know, your mentor, your your figure point in your life at that moment to help you specifically achieve that goal that can just say, hang on, just take a step back. You don't need to beat yourself up about it just because you didn't hit your steps yesterday. Because overall for the week, we're still going to be on target. You just need to chill out a little bit. You know, and that can make the world a difference to someone. Yeah. So it's very, very person dependent. Do you know the clients that you've used the approach of giving them a little bit of tough love, Andy? Have you ever had them in the moment not be very happy with that approach and then at a later date message you and thank you? Yeah, loads of times. Loads of times. I've, I've had some clients where I've been blunt with them and I won't hear from them for two or three days. And then, and then they come back and they're just like, you were right again. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I've even had clients that I've worked with for a relatively short period of time, but I've been very intense with them, with my approach, with not letting them, letting them off the hook at any point. And I've worked with them for maybe two months. And then we stop because they feel that it's not for them. And then six months later, get a message on Instagram. You know, and they're just like, at the time, I wasn't necessarily ready to hear it, but your voice is rung in my head for months and months and they're in a better place they, they have made a lot more progress than they have than they ever have done before and like you said thanking me for it yeah because sometimes that is the way it is it's like my my nature doesn't fix the problem but it plants the seeds and that's ne that's never the way that coaching should be seen 
So, like, for anybody that is listening that is looking for a coach right now and is trying to find the right type of coach, don't look for a coach that is going to fix you. Look for the coach that's going to give the right kind of support that you need to be able to fix yourself. Because the best coach in the world can't make anybody do anything. Yeah. And is it generally the same people that you will have to use each approach with or do you find that in certain scenarios you will switch so you might have to give someone a little bit of tough love in one scenario but then further down the line you might have to help them be a little bit kinder to themselves or is it usually that certain personality types just need a different approach yeah it it can it can be controlled by personality types but there are some people that it, there's one setting for them and it's just like you can't let them off the hook because if you give them an inch they want to take a mile um, and that works either way but then there's, there's other people that you need to blend the approach you know because there'll be sometimes when it's usually the specific way that they reply because with a lot of a lot of my coaching is done via voice note instead of words on a screen because what I hear in a voice note is very different to what is actually being said because I listen to everything. I listen to what they're saying, but the way that they're saying it, the emphasis they put on certain words, the tone of voice, the pace that they're speaking at, the way that they breathe when they're talking. Because it, listening to those things, I've had clients before that sent me a voice note and I reply and say, right, send me a voice note again, but sit up and actually sit with a decent posture because right now I can tell you lay down, like huddle up in a ball feeling sorry for yourself. And that's going to help fucking nobody and get a reply back. And it's like, have you got cameras in my house? But you can hear it in the voice. You can tell that, you know, the, the kind of fetal position that they're in. And even things like that make a big difference, being able to hear someone. Because sometimes they can say something and I'm like, they don't need to be pushed right now. They need to be given permission to kind of peel back just a little bit. And then the following morning, they push themselves forward. Whereas if I just continue to push and push, you can take people to the breaking point. And I've come to realise that through mistakes that I've made over the years because there's been times when I should have let somebody pull back and I've pushed them and it's been too much. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how you become a better coach. But yeah, it's, it, it's some people do need a blend. Yeah, I'm the same in terms of using voice note communication and I find personally that really beneficial, like my clients check in via voice note and I respond that way. Um, I think personally, I, like you, get a lot from tone of voice, so I think it's really, really beneficial. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll know yourself, there can be something that you'll send as a quick message, just type in, and it's received in a completely, completely different way than it was yeah. intended. Whereas if that exact same sentence was said in a voice note, your tone of voice would be the indicator for how it's supposed to be received. And it can, it can completely change the situation. Definitely. Um, and so one of the other questions was to talk about values and how to actually line your goals up with your values and make sure that you're doing things for the right reasons. So if someone is thinking about what goals to set themselves, say it's in fitness because it's an easy example, how should they go about making sure that they're setting their goals in line with their own values? One thing that I found with a lot of people is that the vast majority of people don't have a clue what their value systems are. Yeah. Do you mind? Unplug my Mac. He says you're not allowed to do anything that's away from me. <laughs> well, and now he's hiding. 
anyway, um, yeah, I've, I've spoke to loads and loads of people and asked them about the values, and I just get a vacant stare, you know, from the other, from the other, the other side of the screen. Um, because a lot, a lot of people genuinely don't understand what values are, the areas of your life that it can impact, and the way that it impacts it. And it's so so important. You, a lot of a lot of issues that people get in relationships are because their values and their partner's values don't match. Yeah. And there's certain value points that you can have compromise within, but there's other ones that you can't. And if you have conflict in specific values, whether it's societal, whether it's the way that you love, financial, there's, there's certain there's certain value systems that if you and your partner don't align on it, it's just conflict. But it's conflict that won't go away. So it guarantees that you are always going to have tension in those specific areas. And when it comes to finances, especially when it's finances, emotions, love, things like that, that's constant. So you've got to, you've got to approach any goal to make sure that the reason why you're doing it is something that is going to keep you consistent. So I'll use this as an example because I remember back when I was still a financial advisor, I was a sales trainer at one point. And this was an element that I used to teach them about values because within sales, obviously, money is the, you know, money is the main thing, making money. And a lot of the time, some of the people that weren't very good, some of the, the, the worst salesmen, it wasn't that they couldn't sell. It's that they were focusing on the wrong thing. They essentially wanted to help people, but they were focusing on just trying to get money from people. Yeah. So because of that, there was a conflict between their actions and the values, and they couldn't keep any steam behind the movement. In the, as a PT, as an online coach, if, you, if you're an online coach and you're struggling at the moment and you're constantly thinking, I need to get more clients so I can earn more money, I need more money, I need more money, I need more money. But your main value is that you want to help people and you want to change people's lives. Because creating content and posting for free and things like that is a longer journey to that eventual goal, a lot of people won't pursue that because they think, no, I need money now. But because their main focus is, I need money. And they don't want to use people for, for money. They don't want to just speak to people just so they can get money from them. So you constantly self-sabotage. They won't post enough content. Or if they do, they're really inconsistent with it. Or if they do get into a conversation with someone, they'll sabotage the conversation. They won't put enough effort into it. Or the last, the last questions that lead nowhere, you know, and they end up putting themselves in a position where they're not going to be able to earn the money that they feel that they need because they're doing it through a disingenuous way to them. Whereas you get somebody else whose values is just make money at all costs. They don't give a shit. They'll use anybody in any respect as long as it brings them more money because that's where their values lie. Yeah. So that, you know, those two things is kind of a, an example of it. As far as applying your values to a fitness goal or something like that, it's a little bit different. It's kind of, that can be motivated for so many different reasons. And one of the issues that affects people when it comes to a fitness goal, especially if it's to do with losing weight, is the projection of any kind of societal judgment. Because one thing that I've spoken with a lot of clients about is the fact that anything that we can gain pleasure from is subject to prejudice, shame, and guilt being projected through the societal sphere. 
And if you think about those things that people can be made to feel shame about, sex, money, gambling, drink, drugs, you know, they're all things that we enjoy. You know, like material possessions and things like that, the way that you look. All of those things can give us pleasure, but all of those things are subject to other people pointing the finger and judging you for it. So if someone's trying to lose weight, and the main reason that they genuinely want to lose weight is because they want to look good naked, and they want the partner to want to have sex with them again, or so that they can have sex with the partner with the lights on again, but they feel that they're going to be judged for that being the reason that they want to make all this effort, they won't make enough effort. They'll lie for why they want to do it. And again, for a lot of people, anytime you're dishonest or disingenuous, you're going to crumble eventually. You will self-sabotage whatever it is that you're focusing on. Yeah. And if, for example, someone's pursuing fat loss or they're in a competition prep and they find that they are self-sabotaging, like you mentioned previously, so for example, they're overeating in a fat loss phase or they're you know, not doing their cardio, whatever it is, coming up with excuses, they're self-sabotaging, they're stopping themselves from getting to the end goal. Is that sometimes a sign that they might be pursuing a goal that's not in line with their own values? It can be. But one thing that I found is most common is that what they focus on is just the exact opposite of what their initial goal was. And it can be that they're doing that because of insecurities, because of self-doubt. So you speak, I mean, you'll have it as well. You'll speak to competitors, you'll speak to whether it's a client, whether it's a friend that's competing. And whenever you speak to them about it, they worry about not being ready. I'm just worried I won't be ready in time. I'm worried I won't be ready in time. And that's their primary worry. I'm worried about not losing weight this week, or I'm worried about gaining weight. You know, I'm worried about showing up at the show fat. I'm worried about my glutes not being in. I'm worried. And it's always worrying about these negatives that are within the controllable. So the thing that you focus on the most is what you are going to create in your life. That's almost guaranteed. So if you spend all of your time in a dieting process, worrying about gaining weight, not losing weight, you know, not looking good by the time it comes for your holiday or your photo shoot or your competition, your, your actions will start to reflect what you're focusing on. So you'll start to shave those five minutes off your cardio. You'll start, you'll start to let yourself off with 500 steps or 1,000 steps. You'll start to make excuses for why you can't do it. Oh, I feel really lethargic today. I must need more rest. You'll eat that extra bit of food that you know you shouldn't have, or you'll cheat on your diet. You'll just through and through just eat a shitload of food that you know you shouldn't have. But they're doing that because you are creating the life that you are thinking about most often, even though it isn't what you ideally want, you spend all your time worried about gaining weight and worried about gaining weight, you're going to eventually start to adopt habits that will guarantee that that's where you're going to go. That's, that's one of the basis of self-sabotage. Yeah. It's, it's part of the potential cycle. That makes sense. Um, and someone actually, which is kind of linked with self-sabotage to some extent, it could be anyway. Someone mentioned that, well, they wanted to talk, us to talk about food obsession during prep. So why does that usually occur and how might someone avoid that happening? There's lots of different reasons for why it would happen. But one of them is because people focus too much on the sacrifices of prep. 
and you'll find someone that during their off season don't follow any food pages and all of a sudden they're following loads of them yeah you know and, and, they sh- and not only are they following them but they're sharing them to the story oh my god how good does this and i'm not being funny i've been on prep and seen people share these like big tower burgers that's like nine patties high and it's you know got all sorts on it look at it, i think that looks shit that and not only that but how are you supposed to eat it yeah you know it's not a burger burger you pick it up and you eat it with your hands if you tried eating that with your hands you'd be an absolute mess <laughs> you know, but and you they perpetuate their own their own problem food for food focus anything that you put before the word focus is only going to become the focus if you choose to focus on it yeah and that's essentially what it is they the people that get the worst food focus generally feel that that's the biggest sacrifice that they're having to make even though they're still eating five or six times a day most of the time and yes you may not be eating the food that you necessarily want to but it doesn't mean that you know you're being hard done to you're not that restricted because it's always a choice and for me if your food focus becomes that chronic whilst you're prepping you shouldn't be competing yeah I because agree. you're focusing on entirely the thing you're focusing on something that you can have any time that you are not on prep. Yeah. And if that's the only thing you can think about when you're on prep, don't do it. It's like if when you're in a relationship, the only thing you can do is think about sleeping with other people than your partner. Don't be in a relationship. Yeah. Be single. You know, and then you can, then you can do what you want. And it's the same thing. If your food focus is that bad that it bothers you so much that you feel like you're suffering because you can't eat what you want when you want, just don't diet and don't prep. Yeah, I completely agree. And I've always found it really strange when people hoard food and create like a massive food stash. Because if you do that, like you said, and you have that there, you're going to overconsume that food at the end of prep. Of course you are. When you're in an overdieted state, of course, if you've got that food like under your bed or wherever the hell it is, you're going to overconsume it. You're literally setting yourself up to screw your improvement season and have a really hard time post-show. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you know, that, that, that's something that you see so right, but people are proud of it. Yeah. Yeah, all the and it's a, and it, it's got a ridiculous amount of shit in it and peanut butter cups and oh look I've got half pound peanut butter cups men nobody fucking cares mate <laughs> shut up because for me I, I I mean I'm surrounded by food that I would love to eat all the time during prep because I've got kids I've got three kids so every morning during my prep in 2019 every single morning Penelope, what do you want for breakfast? Can I have Nutella on toast? Yeah, you can. Let's save you. What do you want? Can I have the same? So I'm making like anywhere from four to six slices of toast with Nutella on it. Would I love to eat that? Yeah, of course, because I love Nutella and I love toast. But I don't, and I don't sit there sulking about it. Yeah. You know, and it do, some mornings I'd even end up with some Nutella on my thumb because you know, like just as I've been as I've been putting it on on the on the toast. Pick up the tea towel and wipe it off. Or I'll wash it off. I won't even lick that off my finger because I'm in control of me. You know, I'm in, not, I'm not only am I in control of what I do, but I'm in control of what I think about. And as we were saying before we started recording, there's a lot of people that think about and talk about the mind as if it's a separate entity to them. 
Yeah. And one of the reasons why a lot of people do that is because it gives them this release from responsibility of their own actions, which is what people love to do. They love to place blame on something or someone else for why they've done something. Because they feel that it's harder to just go, um, I cheated on my diet because I wanted to. I really wanted the food. You know, there's, there's, always, an, there's, a, there's always an excuse for it, but the excuses don't help. They just perpetuate the problem. Yeah. If a lot of people are honest with themselves and just own the responsibility for everything that they do at all, all times, a lot of people would have far fewer problems. Yeah. And if someone is of that mindset and they don't like to take responsibility, how would you generally advise that person go about gaining responsibility for their own actions and learning to be okay with that? Uh, grow up would be the first thing that I'd say to them. Yeah. Because the thing, ultimately, it's like I shared uh, my story um, a few hours ago. Some doctor's gone on with himself on Twitter about things that he wishes he'd been taught in school um, about how fat doesn't make you fat and salt isn't the enemy, sugar is, which could be more wrong, both of the first points that he raises. And that's something that you hear a lot. People saying, oh, why aren't you taught about taxes in school? Why would you be? It's like, as an adult, especially now, as an adult, if you've got a phone, you've got access to all information that we've collated as a species ever. Yeah. You've no excuse for not knowing what you need to know about the shit that you need to know about, period. Like, it's not school's responsibility to teach you everything that you might need to know at some point in life. It's your own. Once you're an adult, it, life is on your shoulders, whether you want that or not. And a lot of people do whatever they can to defer that responsibility from life being entirely theirs to control. And they do nothing but suffer because of it. Yeah. And you know, the, the sooner you can, sorry, go on. It's right. I was just going to say the annoying thing is if they could change their perspective and just take ownership of that responsibility and take action, they would improve their entire quality of life like tenfold do you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. i mean and i've got experience with this in different industries i've got this as a pt as an online coach as a nutritionist as a financial advisor because when i specialized in debt i was going into people's homes to get them in a position where they could you know be more financially viable financially solvent and they all had the same tales, you know, and it was always excuses and shifting blame and a lack of responsibility. And I used to say the same thing to all of them. Like this position that you're in is your responsibility. And until you accept that, you're not going to do the necessary to fix it because the mentality behind it, the psychology behind it is if say somebody does something to you, Say it, was, say it was to you personally, somebody else does something that puts you in a negative position in life. It's their fault that you're in that position because they chose to do what they did that has then had those consequences for you. Whilst it's true that it's their fault, it's still your responsibility to fix it because it's still your life. Yeah. The person whose fault it is isn't going to come back in a year, in two years, or in five years, and go, Danny, you know what? Sorry about that, mate. Let me fix the problem. Yeah. 
but I, I speak to people all the time and it can be something to do with the parents, it could be a past partner, whatever the situation is, and it could be financial or it could be physical, it could be mental. And it's still that, but it's their fault. I'm like, I know, but it's your responsibility to fix. Yeah, but that's not fair. Welcome to fucking life. Yeah. Life isn't always fair. But if, if people just thought immediately when it happened, they dealt with the initial emotion of it and just went, you know what, this is shit, but I need to fix this because this is my life that's being ruined. They're, they're off doing their own thing. So many people would have problems that have existed for maybe 10 years or longer that wouldn't exist for 10 months. And then they'd be back on track and they'd be thriving. And by the time that they do eventually, it, at some point in the future, reach what I refer to as the trigger point, which is whether it's to do with the way that you look or the way that you feel, the way that you think, whatever it is in life, whether it's financial, everybody eventually reaches a trigger point where you just go, I'm not living like this anymore. And usually when someone reaches that trigger point, that's the point when they're genuinely ready to fully accept responsibility and do whatever's necessary to make the changes. Some people can get there in 12 months. Some people can take 10 years. Some people can take even longer. But if people just own responsibility for their life all the time, there would be so, so, so few people with these huge life problems. Yeah. And because it's so many like when people sort of wait for their life or conditions to be like optimal before pursuing a certain goal when if they had just worked towards that goal despite things being hard and their conditions not being optimal they would have made so much more progress already and already be on their way to achieving that goal as opposed to waiting for their conditions to be optimal because they're never going to be optimal because life is not optimal (laughs) it just doesn't happen like that (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and that's it that like it's a really really good point because it is and that affects so many people like I'll, I'll, I'll start my fitness journey when, when that thing stops happening or I'll start my fitness journey when I feel like this or when this has happened, whatever it is. But there's some, some pre-thought condition that needs to have happened in order for them to start. But in the year or three years or five years that they've been waiting for this to happen, they've gained more and more weight and have become more and more physically unfit. Whereas if they just started with what they had and where they were, even if it was literally just going out and walking and maybe slightly reducing the food intake, all the same foods, but just eat slightly less. By the time that that same condition was then met, maybe three years down the line, they might have half the work to do. You know, and the mentality could be completely different so that they end up, end up actually achieving the goal that they want within six months once they can actually go at it properly in their mind. Yeah. Because there, there's, there's a lot of people that fall foul to that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, yeah, it would probably be one of the best pieces of advice I could give for most people to just start working despite, like, your conditions not being optimal because they're never going to be. Um, but, yeah, that's I, it's been a really, really good conversation, Andy, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Is there anything else that you would like to add for people to sort of take away from this podcast? Um, 
don't know. You know what? Probably the, the last point that we've touched on is probably one of the biggest things that I try to impress on people yeah. because it is the most life-changing thing that you can do. For me, being, being honest, being as honest as possible and owning responsibility for everything that you can in your life, those two things can, can completely transform your whole life. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, the, they, they sound they sound quite simple because it's a short list, but it can be very difficult. But one, like I said, it's like with gratitude. Commit to it and commit to going through the process, through all the difficulties, all the discomfort that comes with you know those very things. But if you commit to it, it will literally be the best thing that you ever do with your life. Whether you're 18 or whether you're 48, if you start now, it will make the quality of your life better, without a doubt. Yeah. I completely agree. And so where can people find you on social media or the internet or if anyone wants to get in contact with you for coaching or anything like that? Uh, at the moment, Instagram would be the best one through my page, Arc Nutrition. Um, for the um, emotional behavioural life coaching, I'm in the process of setting something up for that that will be a little bit broader, uh, but that isn't in place yet. So Arc Nutrition on Instagram would be the best place. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening, guys. I appreciate it massively. If you could like and subscribe, if you enjoy the content on the Female Fitness Podcast, it would mean the world. And I will see you in the next one.